All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter number 19. And I I've, was going to mention this in the announcements, and I, I overlooked it. Uh, the van, we need to pray. We're, uh, we've been, of course, if you've been here, you know what's going on. Uh, just we've had a lot of difficulties with it. And ultimately, uh, in talking with our deacons, we have just decided we need to sell the thing. It's been, uh, been a difficulty. And so we're pray this. Um, we did get it all running good, uh, but it just is not going to work for our church, for the where we're at and the way we need to be able to use it. And so uh, we need to sell it. So pray that it would uh, that it would that we'd be able to sell it, uh, that we'd be able to get uh, a decent price for it and that it would be a good vehicle for whoever purchases it as well. Uh, and that's important. So keep those things in prayer and uh, we'll greatly appreciate that. And then we'll uh, we'll start praying that we'll be able to find another van for our church. So, uh, so keep all of that in prayer, and uh, and we'll certainly appreciate that. All right. I wanted to make that in the announcements and uh, overlooked that, but um, and that doesn't have anything to do with the message. So, uh, Revelation chapter number nineteen. Revelation nineteen. I want to pray. I want to preach this evening on a victory celebration. Of course, Revelation seventeen. Uh, was the fall of Babylon, the religious system. Revelation 18 was the fall of Babylon, the, uh, maybe the commercial or political system. And uh, they were both chapters that were uh, full of uh, judgments and wickedness as it was described and associated with, uh, with uh, Babylon. And uh, Revelation chapter 19 really is a victory celebration. You can think of it that way. And uh, there's three things that we're going to notice tonight in this chapter, uh, and that is the worship, uh, a wedding, and the war, all right? And, and you say, well, uh, the war, that's not really a victory celebration, but it is because we win. And so praise the Lord for that. It is good to know uh, that, that we're nearing that end and, uh, and that we will see the light really at the end of the tunnel uh, as we've been going through the Great Tribulation and it's been kind of uh, a long, dark haul. And uh, I'm glad that we're not going to live through that. And, and praise the Lord for that because it would be a long, dark, long, dark haul if you had to live through it. And you, may, you probably wouldn't, I'll be honest with you. Uh, because there's a lot of people die all through the tribulation. And uh, those that may live through the tribulation, uh, boy, they'll be few and far between. And those who do uh, well will, will be associated with the beast and the false prophet. And so we don't want to be associated with that crowd. So uh, it, it'll be harder for anyone that is saved during the tribulation time. Uh, Revelation chapter number 19 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, And after these things I heard... A great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice, and a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small 
and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And let's stop right there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. God, we thank you for uh, a glimpse at the end of the tunnel, God, and in the joy and the uh, goodness that we see, Father, and the worship that takes place uh, around your throne and for you and about you and because of your great power, your justice, and, uh, and God, just for who you are. God, truly, we want to worship you, and Father, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me as we look into the book of Revelation tonight. God, I pray that you'd give us open minds, open hearts of understanding, and Father, we'll thank you for that, and God will give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, I pray, amen. A couple things I want us to notice here in verse number one, right off the bat, it says, and after these things, so we do see again a marking of time and things are moving on. So this is clearly, it's after the judgment uh, that take place of Babylon uh, in chapter 17 and 18. Uh, and then it says after these things. So this is a continuation in a time frame. And, and of course, that's even referenced in this uh, chapter that as a past tense issue uh, of something that is been dealt with. Uh, and I want you to notice this because we've pointed this out as well, uh, that this scene unfolds in heaven. And, uh, and so this is a worshipful scene that is taking place there in heaven. And I want you to notice in verses 1 through 6 that we read the worship of the Lord, the worship of the Lord. Notice this, the chorus uh, that is given. And, uh, and I love this word, and I, maybe I pronounce it funny, I don't know, because I, we, we say that way, uh, we say it that way in Spanish, Alleluia, uh, and I don't know if that's English or Spanish or what it is, but it doesn't matter because here's the bottom line, Alleluia is not an English word, all right? Uh, I'll tell you that, it's a transliterated word. And uh, it's not even, that's the Greek form, it's not even a Greek word, all right? It actually comes from the Hebrew. And so uh, it's been changed into Greek and then transliterated into English, and so we have this word. Now here's a fascinating fact, I did not know this. This is the only time we find this word in the Bible. We use the word, we sang it this morning in one of the songs, hallelujah. I forget what song it was in. It was in one of the songs that we sang and, uh, and the word hallelujah. Uh, and I, it didn't show up in the Bible at all. I was surprised. I didn't know that. I thought, I thought that was a Bible word. Uh, and really, it's hallelujah here in Revelation. Uh, but it does mean this. It means praise to God. That is the meaning of it. And so uh, we certainly find praise be to God all throughout the book of Psalms that we're going through on Wednesday nights. And uh, we find it all throughout the Old Testament. We find it all throughout even the New Testament that we are to praise the Lord. And, uh, and so I found it fascinating that here the Bible um, shows us a scene that is unfolding in heaven. And it says this, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia. And, uh, and they're praising him. And, and listen, it's good for us to praise the Lord. Uh, we ought to praise the Lord. And uh, I feel like every time we come to church and we open up that hymnal and we sing songs out, hey, listen, that is our opportunity with our voices to lift praise to the Lord. It's not just a time to occupy space. 
well, you know, our church service has got to be uh, an hour long. And uh, I don't even know. It doesn't. You, that's not even in the Bible. We don't find that anywhere. But it's not just, well, we have to fill so much time. So therefore, let's have this amount of sin. No, that's not it at all. Uh, the idea is that we would praise God. It's part of worship. It has been even since the Old Testament. And, uh, and so that is just part of worshiping God and that we would open songs, uh, songbooks and that we would sing songs that would praise and honor and glorify God. Now, what did they praise him for? And I love this. Notice this in these verses. The very first thing. It says, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. They praised him first and foremost for deliverance. Boy, I can think of no greater reason than to praise the Lord than for that, the fact that he saved my soul. I'll be forever grateful. We were singing that song, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Boy, what a great truth. Because really, I look at myself and I think, man, I don't know that I was that great of a value to the Lord. But he saw that I was of value to him. And he said, I do want to save him. And I do want his life to be changed. And I think to myself all the time, God has just been so good to me. And, and really, the longer that I do serve him, the more that I see that God is just blessed and blessed. And if God never did a, if God didn't do a, another thing for me the rest of my life, I'm serious. I would still have to praise him for all that he has done for me thus far. Because that's how good God has been to me. And we ought to praise him. We ought to lift up uh, uh, exaltation to him. The Bible says this in Psalm 135 and verse 3. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto his name, for it is pleasant. Boy, and I love coming to church. And I love opening the songbook with other people. And I love hearing the people sing and being able to praise the Lord and hear the voices. And I tell you what, that is just a, a small glimpse of what we're going to have in heaven. I tell you what, when we get to heaven, man, all of us are going to have perfect pitch. Praise the Lord. I don't know if we'll break into four-part harmony. Maybe there'll be eight-part harmony in heaven. I don't know. Uh, maybe there's more to music than we than we find here on earth. And and uh, and I tell you what, there'll be uh, instruments. I know there's harps in heaven and uh, we'll know there'll be uh, some other things. And and I tell you what, when you get a, a great group like that together and have them singing and praising God. Boy, I tell you what, what an incredible time that will be. I've been in some meetings that are large, and uh, I thank God for that. And, and I tell you what, it's an experience to go to some of those places, and you're just, I mean, you are packed in there, and there's, there's lots of people, and, and there's just an energy, there's an excitement that comes with it. Could you imagine how many people in heaven that will be gathered together and singing the praises of God's salvation, glory, and honor? and power to God. What a great time of celebration as they worship the Lord. They worshiped Him for salvation. Uh, not only that, but notice this, that they're praising God uh, for His discernment. Look in verses 2 and 3. For true and righteous 
are his judgments. Let me just pause here. And I've said this several times as we're going through the book of Revelation. As we go through the book of Revelation, we find all of these judgments. We find the wrath of God being poured out upon the earth. We find that uh, even in Babylon, as he destroys Babylon, the uh, center place of the earth, uh, that's, that's the center of commercial and, and political influence. And, and he says this, the Bible, I made a point of pointing this out because the Bible is very clear that the, there'll be no more sound of work in that city. There'll be no more sound of wedding in that city. There'll be no more uh, other things that are taking place out of that city because it's going to be obliterated. Sometimes we look at that and we're like, man, wow, that is pretty strong. But can I tell you that every judgment that God pours out on the earth is just. It's right. And the Bible's very clear about that right here. It says, for true and righteous are his judgments. He did not make a mistake. He will not make a mistake in his righteous judgments. Everything that is poured out on the earth is right and just. The Bible goes on, For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, for her smoke rose up forever and ever. They were praising God for his discernment that he would judge the earth righteously and he would know what is the right judgment to pour out. And I tell you what, uh, God is righteous and God is good even in his judgment that he'll pour out. And so they're praising him for his discernment. They're praising him for his deliverance. They're praising him. Uh, look in verse number four. Uh, the Bible says, and the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, amen, alleluia. And you look at that throne and you say, boy, that is divinity. It is God sitting on the throne. They're praising him for his deliverance. They're praising him for his, uh, for his, um, his discernment. They're praising him for his divinity and the fact that God is sitting on the throne. I tell you what, I'm glad there is a God in heaven. And I'm glad that he's not dead. I'm glad that he's sitting on the throne. I'm glad that nothing has gotten out of his control. He's not sitting there fretting, pulling his hair out. He's not worried about what is going to take place. He's in complete, perfect control. And he's not concerned about anything. And he's sitting there in the throne. And listen, they're praising him for his divinity. Not only that, but look in verse number 6. The Bible says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and the voice of a mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Not just for uh, his d d deliverance and his discernment and judgment and his divinity, but also for his dominion. Listen, he's omnipotent. I love the fact that the Bible tells us that very clearly in Revelation. That listen, God is all-powerful. There is nothing that is stronger than God. And because of that, uh, listen, that's what allows him to sit on that throne in complete control. That's what allows him to be in complete control. Uh, uh, um, uh, just sitting there at the throne without fretting and without worrying. Why? Why? Because he's in control. He's omnipotent. There is nothing that is stronger.
than him. And so we see this chorus of praise that is going out for his deliverance, for his discernment, for his divinity, and for his dominion. I want you to notice not only the chorus that they're praising him with, but I want you to notice as well the congregation. I've alluded to this a little bit, but notice there in verse number one, and after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. Look at uh, um, verse number four. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God. Look at verse number six. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia. And, and I tell you what, it's not possible to calculate uh, the amount of people that have been saved over the past 247 years in our country as a result of our country or even in our country. There's just no way for us to calculate that. Um, to be honest with you, uh, we, we, we could try and keep records and all of that, but in reality, there's no way we could tally that all up. And listen, that's only 247 years in one country and our influence. We go farther back than that. Hey, listen, Christianity goes all the way back 2,000 years to Christ. And all those that the apostles led to the, uh, preached and, and, and led to the Lord and people that have been saved. And what I'm trying to say is this. Uh, we don't know the untold number of saints that will be gathered around that throne that will be worshiping the Lord on that day. Boy, what a celebration of people. And, and I, you and I, we've heard, uh, I think it's a song, uh, you know, that about the, the time just to share our stories one with another. And man, this is where the Lord brought me from and how the Lord saved me and look at what he did for me. And, and God has been so good to me. And, and just could you imagine uh, just over and over uh, then the, the, the people in Asia, the people in South America, the people in Africa, the people in Europe, the people all over the world. And what I'm saying is, you and I, neither one of us, can fathom the amount of people that will be gathered there. There will be a great congregation that will be worshiping the Lord. And I haven't even touched the Old Testament saints. Uh, listen, there were people saved in the Old Testament. And so uh, we really don't know how many people will be there. Notice this, though, as we see the chorus, we see the congregation. I want you to notice the command in verse number 5. The Bible says this, And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. I love that verse for two reasons. One, they're saying, hey, we are to praise the Lord. You might as well practice up here on earth because I tell you what, when we're getting to heaven, we're going we're gonna to praise the Lord. Uh, and it's a command. He says, hey, praise ye the Lord. And I'm grateful that we get to praise the Lord and that we get to, uh, to, to exalt him and lift up his name. And it's commanded there. But I noticed this as well in verse number five. And I love this. It says, all ye his servants and ye that fear him, both small and great. Aren't you glad that God would include us in something so marvelous? I look at that and I think I'm really not a big person. I'm not a big person physically. That's why I never played football, played soccer instead. And I don't count myself a great person as others uh, that, are, that are far greater. And I think to myself, I'm glad 
that, hey, God allows small people, people that are common people, unimportant people, that'll be there gathered around the throne, worshiping the King of Kings. This is not an exclusive event for only the rich and famous and the VIPs. This is for those that are saved, that are in heaven, both small, both great, small and great, all people of all places that will worship the Lord. What a wonderful worship service that is going to take place there in heaven. We see the worship of the Lord. I want you to notice this, the wedding of the Lamb. Look with me in verse number 7 as we continue. The Bible says this, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. I want you to notice that the wedding of the Lamb is going to take place. And listen, that's, we see the commencement there in verse number 7 uh, as He announces, Hey, it is coming. And I want you to notice that it is a joyous occasion. It's rejoicing. As I read this and I was thinking about these, and, and listen, weddings really have a lot of significance in the Bible. And we really see it take place here in the book of Revelation. We see it in the book of Ephesians. We'll reference that a little bit later. But listen, weddings have been downplayed in our society today. And people just, oh, you don't need to get married. We'll just shack up together. Listen, there's something to be said about being married together and committed together. And there's something that is sacred about a wedding that God used it as an illustration that, hey, he said, hey, this is important. And I want you to see this. And he illustrates it even here in the book of Revelation. And he shows, he says, and let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. That would be the lamb. That would be the Lord Jesus Christ. For the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. Boy, we see uh, the rejoicing that is taking place. We see the, uh, the readiness that she is getting ready. Look with me. Go with me to um, Ephesians chapter number 5. Save your spot here in Revelations. We'll be back here. But in Ephesians chapter number 5, in verse number 25, we, we, will, we will not have time to go all through this chapter, but there's a great truth here in Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 25. Ephesians 5.25, the Bible says this. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And he's talking about, uh, of course, the union between a man and wife, but yet he's, he's illustrating that through the church. And he goes on in verse number uh, 31. Look at what he says there. It's not verse 31. Excuse me. It's verse... Well, let's start at verse 31. Uh, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. 
Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular show love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Verse 32 is the one I was looking for. It says there, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And we see that taking place in the book of Revelation that, uh, that, hey, there is going to be a wedding that is going to take place. Listen, weddings are joyous occasions. We're getting ready, uh, unless you're the father of the bride, all right, then it's not so joyous. It costs a lot of money and, and all of that. But nonetheless, I digress. We're getting ready to go to a wedding, and uh, my daughter is getting married here in a couple weeks, and, and it is a joyous occasion. I am excited about it, but I hate spending all the money, but that's just life. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, but we see this all taking place, and it's a joyous, and it is a great occasion. Notice this, uh, the Bible says there that uh, the church is without spot and wrinkle. And somebody said this, they said, the spots and wrinkles will be ironed out at the rapture when the corruptible must put on incorruptible. Boy, what a great truth. And listen, uh, somebody once said that, um, you know, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it, because as soon as you do, it will be an imperfect church. Boy, there's truth to that. The reality is uh, we live in a sin-cursed, fallen world, and we're human, and we're flesh, and while we strive to serve the Lord, we're certainly not perfect, and while we strive to do the best that we can, the reality is we all fall short. But listen, someday, as the Bible says, this corruptible, what does that mean? This corruptible flesh right here must put on incorruption. Boy, what a day to look forward to when we won't have to worry about fighting with our flesh any longer. We won't have to worry about uh, the corruption of our flesh and we'll be able to have uh, be, be uh, perfect and without spot and without wrinkle. And in that day, the church will be presented to the groom, Jesus Christ. And we find that in the book of Revelation ever so clearly as it is written out. Notice this in verse number 8. We see it, the commencement. We see it's a joyous occasion. Notice the clothing in verse number 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. We see... The, the symbolism here and that white robe that will be arrayed. Listen, it's traditional that the bride would wear a white dress. Why is that? Because it represents purity. And listen, the same thing is true. Listen, as we think about this glorious wedding and, and the church being uh, clothed and arrayed in fine white linen. Listen, it says because of the righteousness of the saints, but in reality, you and I know it's not our righteousness, because the Bible says all our righteousness is as filthy rags, but it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross of Calvary that he would give to us his righteousness and clothe us with, the, with the, uh, a fine white linen that we would be ready for the wedding of the Lamb. Look at the call there in verse number 9. We see the commencement, the clothing, and the call. In verse number 9, he says this, And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. I find it fascinating. We read this, and, and I've often wondered who is called. 
to the wedding. I mean, we as the church, the saved, uh, we know that, hey, we're, we are the bride of Christ. We see that in the Bible and Ephesians very clearly. But then, uh, listen, there's going to be a wedding celebration. There are going to be those that are sitting there. And, and who are these people? And, and I don't know that I have a good answer for you. Maybe the Old Testament saints, maybe the tribulation saints. I don't know. I do find this fascinating. In John chapter 3 and verse number 29, uh, the, uh, John the Baptist said this, and he kind of aligned himself with a friend of the bridegroom. In other words, he kind of aligned himself as not part of the bride. I find that fascinating. He said this in, in John 3, 29, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. So John the Baptist aligned himself as a friend to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, and, and, and not part of the bride of Christ. I find that fascinating. Uh, I don't know what to make of it. And, and listen, uh, regardless of what my thoughts are, either here or there, I'm sure when we get to heaven, the Lord will straighten us all out, and all those spots and all those wrinkles will be ironed nice and clear, and we'll all understand uh, far better. Uh, so I don't necessarily know what all of that is, uh, but there are spectators that are called to be be part, to be, uh, to watch the festivities and enjoy the wedding celebration. So we see the wedding of the Lamb. We see the worship of the Lord. Notice the larger part of this chapter is the war that is going to take place. Look in verse number 11 as it starts to, to deal with that. We see the war in the land. He says this, and I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Boy, what a great set of passage there. As it describes the Lord Jesus Christ as He comes out, we notice the captain. And, and listen, a great deal of these verses are describing the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And I find it interesting because in verse number 11, the Bible is very clear. He says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And so He's about to descend upon the earth out of heaven. And, uh, and there's no doubt that this is the Lord Jesus Christ, and He's coming from heaven. Um, let me just stop here and say this, that a lot of times we, there's, there's two comings of the Lord, okay? And, and a lot of times we misspeak and we say things that are not quite accurate. Uh, but the first coming, very clearly, uh, is when Jesus Christ was born on this earth of the Virgin Mary. And he lived, in, he lived and walked uh, his lifetime, a perfect life, as a sacrifice, died on the cross of Calvary, rose again from the dead, and he spent, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was 40 days or something like that on the earth before he ascended up into heaven. That was, that's described as his first coming. Sometimes, many times, I feel like we get confused and we'll call the rapture the second coming of Christ. 
And it is not the second coming of Christ. At that time, Jesus Christ does not come all the way to the earth. Matter of fact, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that he's in the clouds. And that we are what? Caught up together to meet him in the air. And so he does not come all the way to the earth. That is a rapture and it is not to be confused with the second coming of Christ. Okay, so we're clear on that. We understand that. The second coming of Christ is when He does come to earth and He does, uh, the Bible says that He'll uh, put His foot down. I believe it's in one of the minor prophets. I, I think Zechariah, I don't remember now. But he, he puts His foot down on the Mount of Olives and it splits. And that is the second coming of Christ. That's when He comes. And that is, uh, I believe, around this time, if I'm not mistaken. And so I just wanted to clarify those two things. But we see this horse that is, uh, that is coming out of heaven. And, uh, and I believe that's important to understand that. Notice this, that it's a white horse. You remember the first time that we saw a white horse in the book of Revelation? It was Revelation chapter number 6 and verse number 1. It was a counterfeit. Listen, the devil will counterfeit everything that Jesus does. And you remember the very first, uh, the, the, the seals that were opened and that first horse that came out was a white horse. And it symbolized peace and it symbolized world unity as they all come together. And make no doubt that the devil will try to counterfeit everything that God does. He will show himself an angel of light, though he is truly a red dragon that seeks to destroy. But we see that white horse being counterfeited. But this, my friend, is not a counterfeit. This is indeed the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find in verse number 11, the faithful and true and in righteousness. This is not an angel. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 13. It very much so says, uh, and his clothes were, uh, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. John 1 tells us that the Word was with us and dwelt among us. That is Jesus Christ. John, uh, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 17, and these three in bear witness in heaven God the Father, God the Son, and the Word. Uh, or God, excuse me, God the Spirit and the Word. Uh, and listen, the Word is very clearly Jesus Christ. And we see this uh, being drawn out here. And notice in verse number 15, the Bible says, Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations. And we find that the Word of God goes forth as a sharp sword, even out of the mouth of of Jesus Christ. We see the captain is very clearly Jesus Christ that is coming to lead this war. Notice the company in verse number 14. And the armies which were heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Isn't that strange? If you're going to lead a battle, my dad was military his, my, my whole life growing up. I grew up in a military home. And my dad would usually, he would, uh, he would wear his dress blues too, back and forth to work. And uh, he was an officer, and so that's just how he went to work. And uh, for a while, at one point, uh, they, they made him wear military fatigues. And so every day he would go off to work in his camos. And, uh, and I just, I love the camos. I don't know why I even like the dress blues. I kind of like those too. But, uh, but, but he, you know, the military, when you go to war, you know what you wear? You don't wear white linen. 
you don't, you don't wear clean, nice clothes, okay? You wear clothes that's rugged. You wear clothes that blend in with the terrain. You, blow, you wear things that are going to match your surroundings so that you can just kind of disappear and blend in. Listen, this is an army like never has been seen before because it's God's army. And we find that they're coming together. God is coming with an army, a company, a heavenly host. You can read verses 17 and 18. We'll not look at, we'll not read them right now for sake of time. But I found it very interesting because God starts speaking uh, to the birds and says, Hey, I want you to be ready because you're about to get a meal. And you talk about crazy. Then birds are going to come down and flock and feast on all the flesh of the people that are going to die. And this tremendous battle that's going to take place. Isn't it amazing that God, even in all of his judgment, is concerned about the birds being fed? It's kind of amazing, to be honest with you. But there it is in verse 17 and 18. We see the company of the armies. We see the birds that are going to come. Notice the competition in verse number 19. We see, obviously, who is the head of this. In verse 19, and I saw the beast... And the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Well, you talk about a foolish notion to take on God omnipotent, all powerful, true and just, the king of kings and lord of lords. Buddy, I'd be running the other way. I'll be honest with you. I would not want to be in that army for anything. But here they are, lined up, and they're there, so delu del uh, delusional that they think, man, we're going to fight this and we are going to win. If they thought they were going to lose, do you think they would stand there? No, I don't think so. But they're, they're there, and they're ready to take on the God of the universe. Look at the consequences of this war in verse 20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of burning fire, of, of fire burning with brimstone. Verse 21, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. It's going to be a swift battle. It's going to be a short battle in which that dragon is going, that dragon, the beast, the false prophet are going to be cast into the lake of fire, the Bible says. And then just as swiftly as God was able to speak and say, let there be light and there was light and let there be earth and there was earth and let there be uh, waters and let them be divided, just as swiftly as he was able to do all of that with just the, 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 the command of his voice, the Bible would lead us to believe that just in speaking, hey, the sword out of, that comes out of his mouth of judgment will completely destroy all those people that are standing there. And what a, what a phenomenal battle it will be. No wonder they're wearing white. They're not going to filthy themselves with a hand-to-hand -hand combat. It'll be over 
as soon as he appears and as soon as he speaks the word, they'll be dead. And notice the Bible says in the very last part, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Boy, what a terrible destruction that will take place for them. And I'm glad I'm on the winning side. I remember when our teenagers used to sing that song, I'm on the winning side. What a great song. What a great truth that we are on the winning side. Hey, we don't have to be downhearted. We don't have to be discouraged. Things are not always going to go our way in the world. But I'll tell you what, in the end, we win. We're on God's side. And so we see the worship of the Lord, we see the wedding of the Lamb, and we see the war that takes place in the land. And uh, what, a, what a phenomenal battle that that will be in that day. And what amazing, uh, really, all of the detail that God gives us in all of that. And as we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and thank God that we're saved. Thank God that we know where we're going to spend eternity. We look forward to that trumpet sounding and that day that, hey, listen, this corruptible will put on incorruptible. Father, I pray that you would encourage, strengthen, help each and every believer that's here tonight. Father, if there's one that would not know you as their own personal Savior, God, I do pray that you would help them. I pray that you would uh, show them their need for salvation. Show them, God, that salvation is clearly only through you and your sacrifice that you did on Calvary. No amount of good works can save us, but only your sacrifice that you made that we could be born again. God, I pray that you would just be with each and every person, encourage, strengthen each and every believer, Father, we'll thank you for that. God, we ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, maybe God's spoken to your heart. I want to give you an opportunity to respond and to pray and to come to the altar. And maybe you just want to thank the Lord for something. That's certainly welcome. Maybe you need to be baptized. Whatever the need, the altar is open. invitation to